Hello everybody and welcome to the Reading Materials podcast, a podcast where two friends get together every couple of weeks and read a book or series of books and then chat about it. My name is Corey and my name is Lucia and we are we've got a bit of a curveball for you this episode but before we get there how are you? I'm doing well as I just said we're getting ready to fly to Slovakia for the Easter break so there's packing and last minute preparations. Mm -hmm. We haven't traveled in a while so I feel like I've gotten out of practice you know. Obviously before the pandemic we were flying quite often because both of our families live abroad and we were just like on it you know. It didn't matter where we were going but now it's like do I need this and how many clothes do I actually need for 10 Mm. days and and what are we going to be doing? Yeah, and also the year before COVID was the year you got married as well, wasn't it? So you were like, it wasn't normal traveling either. No. (laughs) Yeah. How about you? How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Our flat is, the work has finally finished. And I have painted the shoe cabinet, which is the last bit of responsibility that I had. And we are now looking forward to a few weeks of not having anybody come to our flat while we wait for the next bit of work to start. (laughs) (laughs) There's always something. (laughs) There's always something, yeah. Yeah, we're planning to have the bathroom refurbed um, in the summer, so that will be... We're going to have to move out for a couple of weeks because we can't, you know, obviously be somewhere without a bathroom. Sure. But uh, that's a future problem. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we are also going to my parents for Easter, but I imagine it will be hopefully quite relaxed although we're going to the horse races on Saturday which I'm not wild about but I think Will might enjoy it he's not been before so is this something that you guys usually do it's something we used to do a lot when we were teenagers but it's one of those it's it's a steeplechase so it's like over fields and then they have to jump over these really high jumps and the horses if they fall and hurt themselves they are euthanized on mm. the field. They erect mm. like a tent around them. So I stopped going because I was like, as soon as I was basically a- allowed to not go, um, because that part of it is just so monstrous to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like not even not even treating them and then retiring them to somebody who would look after them or you know just like nope, you're not useful to me anymore. So. Hopefully that won't happen, and mm. we will have a good time, and then I can go back to my non-point-to-point ways again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it is, it's a big social event, so yeah, it'll mm-hmm. be good. Cool. Well, I hope you have fun, and I hope nothing bad happens. Yes, me too. Thank you. Yeah. Right, would you like to introduce the book that we are reading? Yes, I think you've already um, hinted at the curveball. I really like that little pun you put in there because the original plan for today's episode was to discuss To Sleep in a Sea of Stars by Christopher Paolini. I had picked the book because it was voted the best sci-fi book of 2019 on Goodreads. So yeah. However, for the first time, the inevitable but also really unwanted thing happened in which I just told you I can't with this book. It's really long. It's almost 900 pages. I got about a quarter of the way 
and I was just not feeling it. So I asked if we could switch books. Mm-hmm. Um, and you very, very kindly said, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So, well, to be honest, I was enjoying it, but I was also, <clears throat> you know, if, if, if we were going to finish it, we were going to have to read every minute of the weekend. And it wasn't like the long ones that we've done recently, like Empire of the Vampire or the Crescent City ones, where we didn't mind the length. As I said to you, I'll probably finish it anyway at my leisure but mm-hmm. I think even if you had decided to force yourself to read it I'm not sure it would have made a particularly good episode I thought that we were going to stop with foundation because we were both really struggling with it but it was much shorter mm. and the foundation episode we basically just talked about how much we hated the book the whole way through and I don't I think I think that it's like even when we really like a book we we talk about the things that we didn't like almost more than we did the bits that we do like because that's generally the thing that is easier to or more interesting to discuss whereas when it's a book where you just don't like any of it mm. it has very little to make it an interesting discussion because mm. we're both just sitting there slagging off yeah. xyz yeah. so i was fully on board with switching and i really enjoyed the book that we did read Excellent. Good. I'm glad. I'll just say one last thing, which is that I think it started out really well, the book. The first 50 pages Mm. I thought were really exciting and I was really Mm. looking forward to where it was going to go. And like, it's, it's not a bad book. It's not badly written or anything. I think maybe I just picked it up at the wrong time because we have read Mm. so many long books recently. So Mm. just the thought. And I think, carry on. Just the thought of having to sit through another 600 pages and not really being sure if the pace was going to pick up felt a little bit daunting. Yeah, I think that was it as well, is that it was the the beginning was really action-packed and it was really interesting. And then suddenly she, the main character, ends up on a spaceship and is like in her own head. Mm. And then after that, I think the point at which we stopped or the point when we stopped the point that I was at the action was starting to pick up again but it had been a really long time of just like her being alone in a spaceship basically yeah. and yeah I completely understood why we didn't want to you know continue yeah so maybe I'll pick it up again I don't know but yeah not right now Though, to be honest there are so many books on both of our reading lists that we don't have time to read a book that we absolutely are not enjoying. Yes, very true. So, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed the book that we did read in the end, which was The Bromance Book Club by Lisa K. Adams. I will tell you a little bit about the author. There isn't that much about her online, but it's... So her name is a pen name, so I don't know what her real name is, but Mm. she was a journalist for almost 20 years, and then decided that, actually, she wants to write romance novels. She first started reading uh, romance novels when she was in, I suppose, high school or like eighth grade. She found a romance book on her grandmother's bookshelf and never looked back and decided to start writing her own stories. So that is primarily the genre that she writes. The Bromance Book Club is the first book in a series of which the most recent book came out last year. That's the fourth one. 
and I think there's going to be another one coming out coming out around Christmas. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much all I found out about her. Yeah, I think I I found something mostly similar. I also found an interview with her where she um, she says that she's trying to challenge gender stereotypes in her series. And I'm sure we're going to discuss that. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that that's something that she has said. And then she likes dogs. And she's yeah. active on Twitter. Yep, and on Instagram as well. Mm. I think maybe every one of her books has a dog in it because she, she does like yeah. dogs. <laughs> so Yes. <laughs> Lovely. So before we continue, please mm-hmm. note that there will be spoilers for this book. And if you haven't read it and you wish to, then I recommend pausing the episode, reading the book, and then coming back. Yes. Cool. So I shall read the blurb and then we can get into the discussion. The Bromance Book Club by Lisa K. Adams. The first rule of book club. You don't talk about book club. Nashville legend second baseman Gavin Scott's marriage is in major league trouble. He's recently discovered a humiliating secret. His wife Thea has always faked the big O. When he loses his cool at the revelation, it's the final straw on their already strained relationship. Thea asks for a divorce and Gavin realizes he's let his pride and fear get the better of him. Welcome to the Bromance Book Club. Distraught and desperate, Gavin finds help from an unlikely source. A secret romance book club made up of Nashville's top alpha men. With the help of their current read, a steamy regency titled Courting the Countess, the guys coach Gavin on saving his marriage. But it'll take a lot more than flowery words and grand gestures for this hapless Romeo to find his inner hero and win back the trust of his wife. Lovely. I love that blurb. I think it's so funny. Mm. Yep. So, you know, I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Yes. That being said, it's not a five stars from me. It's kind of bordering on maybe three and a half. I have been reading a lot of rom-coms recently, and I've read some, many that I've enjoyed more than this. So I would put this at kind of around average. Mm -hmm. How about you? Yeah, same, three and a half. I I have not been reading a lot of romance novels recently, and I think maybe we have been reading a lot of serious books, and obviously this isn't a serious book, so I think that maybe coloured my perception of it a little bit, but, um, but yeah, I did enjoy it, and it was a good light. You know, you could fully imagine reading it beside the pool, and the mm-hmm. last half an hour of the book, I was engrossed. I sort of started reading a little bit before work, and then I was ten minutes late for work, because obviously <laughs> I was still sitting upstairs finishing the book. So, yeah. Yeah, that's always good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so I took some notes. I have a few things that I want to talk about. Maybe let's start with the general concept. So the general concept is you have this baseball player. He's been married for about three years to his wife, Thea. They have twins. It was a shotgun wedding because they'd only been going out for a few months when she got pregnant. So they got married very quickly, very young. And then his baseball career kind of took off. And 
the marriage has kind of deteriorated. There's lack of communication, lack of trust. But the main thing that I, I suppose is the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say, is when Gavin, the main character, finds out that his wife has been faking orgasms in bed for the duration of their marriage. And he takes this very personally. She tells him to leave. He does. She then holds this against him and asks for a divorce. And his friends from the baseball team and other men from Nashville kind of band together around him and initiate him into their bromance book club is the concept. And they use romance novels to try and understand the women in their lives and to fix whatever issues they're having in their relationships. Did you like this concept? Yeah, I really loved it. I, I, there was an element of it that I thought was a little bit problematic because mm -hmm. the whole reason that they're doing it is because they're basically saying that all women like reading romance novels and therefore if we read a romance novel, we will understand how they think because the men in these novels are the perfect men from a woman's point of view is what they are saying and if you take a step back from being within the story this is a book about a man who's trying to understand a woman through a woman's writing which just adds another layer of unreality to it because you almost want a bromance book club in real life to read this thing about or like I need to be able you know I almost get to the point where I'm like I need to be able to say to Will that him and all of his mates need to sit down and read romance novels because then they they'll understand <laughs> da -da -da -da. but but apart from that and it all getting a little bit too meta for me I, I I I enjoyed it a lot I think there are few women that I know who don't enjoy just sitting down and reading a trashy in air quotes novel which is one that's never going to win the Nobel Prize for Literature or anything like that but that doesn't diminish the value that the book has and mm -hmm. I I thought that recognising that in this way was really fun mm. Yeah I agree with you, I think we this is the second rom-com that we've done on the podcast, the first one was well, I've already forgotten what it was called. <laughs> it was the Emily Henry one, Beach wasn't Read. it? Yes, Beach Read, Read by yeah. Emily Henry. Yes, and I think we said in that episode, it was kind of a new-to-us genre at the time, and we did kind of go into it, I think, maybe with some preconceptions of what it was going to be, mm. simply because of how society views yeah. these types of novels written by women for women. And there's even yeah. a line in, in this book that talks about it. But we were both pleasantly surprised at how it's, yes, in quotation marks, it's labeled as kind of trashy, but there's nothing really yeah. trashy about it. Like it talks no. about a lot of common themes, a lot of important things that are really important for a relationship to work. And this book itself also like the themes in it are really relatable i think a lot of couples go through a crisis and communication is so so important between partners and when that breaks down 
you know, it's it's really hard to come back from that. Mm. So I really like the concept of using romance novels to kind of guide the relationship further. Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciated was the support that the men gave each other and that they gave each other the safe space in which to be emotional, in which to be vulnerable. And there was no judgment between them. They were all very open about their feelings and issues that they were having in their own relationships. So I really Mm. like that. Now, is this realistic? I really don't know. Mm. It's kind of what you said. Romance novels are written by women. So these are male characters written by a woman. Of course, there are women, sorry, of course, there are men like this out there. Mm. But yeah, it did get a little bit meta. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, I think this is where her challenging gender stereotypes comes in, because obviously, I think one of the bits that I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this book is right at the beginning, they, they buy pumpkin spice lattes for everybody and, you know, suddenly they're loving them. And that's something that really touched me because we used to do yep. that and we yep. used to get judged by all the men. Yep. And, um, you know, I think I, I did really appreciate that that element of challenging, you know, there's this thing of, oh, you know, the... the it it is just normal sexism and it's it's sort of starting to break that well you can't just expect men to only like the things that men traditionally like because pumpkin spice latte is full of artificial flavoring and sugar and it's bloody amazing and and you know apart from maybe biological differences between men and women i don't know if any exist when it comes to taste there's no reason for <laughs> that kind of preconception and it does it is a shame that because of society i think a lot of men would not read a rom-com mm. because they are pre programmed to think that they're not going to enjoy it yep and i think that actually if more men wrote love novels for men because i think that is one of the things it is not always women who write women's romance novels but in general it is and I think that that is something that it's very difficult to understand like I think sometimes a man writing a fem- a female an- a novel aimed at this genre it can be really obvious that it's a man who's written it because because your inherent biases come through because you are not the gender that you're aiming the book at. And so I wonder if more men wrote romance for men, mm-hmm. there would be... there. I, I can't imagine there wouldn't be a massive market for it, you know? Mm. Yeah. I don't think I've read a single contemporary rom-com written by a man as far as I know. No, so and the only reason I say that I know that there are some is because one of the novels that we did recently, and I can't remember which one it was, mm-hmm. one of the things that I said about the author at the beginning of it was that he was a rare creature who had had a romance novel published and it had received critical acclaim. I can't remember who it was. I might have it in my 
Was it T.J. Clune? Was it The House in the Cerulean Sea? Possibly. I am not sure. Because as far as, far as I know, he does write books that are... No, it was William Nicholson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, he did the wind singer. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's the only reason I wanted to point out that it's not always women, but I think that there is a reason that women enjoy these novels because. I mean, even if you think about a sex scene, a woman knows what it's like to have sex <laughs> as a woman or with mm. with female parts. Mm-hmm. And and so it'd be really difficult for a man to describe how that feels. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I think what I really like about contemporary rom-coms is you, it's usually the female main characters are, I think, usually done really well and I usually really like them. I didn't in this case and we can come back to that yeah but it does you know i think it's a two-way problem a woman writing a book for women obviously she will write what she knows so her female characters are usually pretty good and the men are written through the female gaze they are the kind of perfect man as you've already said a man writing a book would probably write the male character really well because that's what he knows and then the woman is written through the male gaze as the perfect woman and this can be problematic from both points of view i suppose it really depends on mm. the quality of the writing maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah and maybe the quality of the editing as well yeah 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 but i'm not here to throw shade on uh, male authors. I, I do hope that someday I will read a a rom-com yeah. written by a man. It would be interesting to see what kind of themes mm. men explore in their romance novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that aside, <laughs> how did you like the the group of the men? So I really liked the men. I really liked the gender stereotypes that were being questioned and then I also quite liked the ones that are quite typically male I know that a lot of females have the same sense of humor in as in they like like fart jokes and all that stuff it's not (laughs) something that I personally enjoy but I, I enjoyed that that was something that you know like one of them was really into it and then the others some of the others would be like oh don't do that or you know they they had a lot of depth to them as a friendship group i think Mm -hmm. same question yes i agree i i liked i liked the men when they were together as a group not interacting with the women because then they were really nice they were really uh sensitive they were you know um self-critical very woke this all kind of fell apart once you brought the female characters in, I felt. I was particularly disappointed with Mac and how he just started flirting with Gavin's wife as soon as he met her. I thought that this kind of went against everything that they had just been talking about. So 
I didn't like that aspect, but in general, I really enjoyed the scenes where it was just the book club together. And yeah, mm. the fact that they played with Gavin's twin daughters, you know, they let themselves get their nails painted and everything. It does, it does paint a really wholesome picture. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think I also didn't, I didn't enjoy it when they were interacting with the women. And I also didn't particularly, I liked the women's character development when it came to talking about themselves, but not when it came to romance. And this is only, I guess it's only Thea that I really, you know, she's decided to go back to art school and she's sort of having a thing like, oh, I used to be really spontaneous and then I got married and I need to reclaim that part of me. I liked that bit. Mm-hmm. But I think it really failed to address gender gender stereotypes when it came to women. Can you be more specific? So, for example, I don't remember that we find out why she likes Gavin or why she fell in love with Gavin, apart from the fact that he's a pro baseball player and he's really hot. And mm-hmm. he comes out of the shower and he's got water dripping down him and, oh, it's so hot. And, you know, and then she is... She's one of the wags, wives and girlfriends, but she doesn't want to be. And yet it seems like she's the only one who wants to be normal, whereas all of the others, apart from maybe one of them, Mm -hmm. are quite happy to be these fabulous stay-at-home wife, girlfriends, do all of these events, do all of these, you know committees and all of that stereotypical stuff mm-hmm. which I'm sure any kind of a committee type thing it does end up being a little bit like that but we didn't see anything other mm-hmm. than that element of them yeah yeah I think this is um quite a prevalent problem sometimes that you try or an author tries so hard to be so woke and so feminist in some elements, and then it completely mm. falls apart in others, yeah. because all the men are painted as the biggest feminists in this novel, and all the women mm. are just awful to each other. Mm. And Yeah, really awful. Really, really awful. And I had big problems with Thea. You're right, we don't really find out much background about their relationship i i kind of read it as maybe not they weren't high school sweethearts i think they met after they were in high school so maybe university years but it just seemed to be like a a fling that became much more serious because she got pregnant so obviously they didn't really have that much time to get to know each other before they formed this long-term relationship however Blaming everything on Gavin was just wrong and short-sighted and there was no introspection from her part and I found that really frustrating because because the things that she was blaming him for are the things that on like surface level can be viewed as his fault but if you chip away at it they're not really his fault. They're her fault because she never communicated to him that she wasn't happy about certain aspects of their relationship. 
So blaming him for the fact that she is a wag and she hates being a wag is not his fault because she never told him that she's the outsider in the group and everybody treats her badly. They even have a specific line. There's a scene in the book when they're at lunch for the Thanksgiving and one of the wags is being really awful to, to Thea. And Thea kind of storms off into the kitchen and Gavin comes and he's like, is this how it's always been? And she said, yes. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you know? As if he's supposed to be some kind of mind reader. I really didn't like that. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but I think... I wrote it down as one of the things that I really liked is that Gavin's putting all of this effort into um, winning her back and then she she finds out about the romance novels and she gets all offended because he's it's all fake or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he throws it back at her and he says, you know, I'm not going to be... I, I need you to work for this as well. And I think that there is a little part there where she starts going oh, yeah, like, I do need it pointed out to me that actually I'm also being... It's it's very difficult to have that kind of insight about yourself without having, you know, being forced to take a step back and look at it. So I completely agree with you, like, throughout it, she is problematic, but I also feel like it did at least sort of... It was part of the re- resolution of the yeah. novel, yeah. which I thought was... I think that's a really important point to make is that it is an equal partnership and you do have to both put effort in mm. if something is wrong. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. By the end of the book, she does start showing some character growth and she does start taking ownership of her own mistakes. Yes, that's true. I mm. just found yeah. I just felt that it took maybe a bit too long for my liking for her to get there and mm. I just I just found her generally really frustrating because mm. she kept throwing up all these walls around herself. She she didn't really want to participate in trying to save their marriage in any way. You know, setting up tests mm. specifically designed for Gavin to fail based on her own uh, issues like asking him to leave and then being surprised. And then getting when, upset. Yeah, like, I don't like it when people do this, when you kind of expect the other person to just miraculously know when you're being honest and when you're just testing. And yeah, I found her quite manipulative. So I think I just mm-hmm. had issues with that. And I also mm-hmm. had issues with her sister. Yeah, you see, I had more issues with her sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to write down things that I disliked, and the first thing on top of the li- list was Liv, the sister, who I think part of the reason um, Thea was so resistant to Gavin was because she had her sister in her back ear going, well, don't save this marriage, you know, da 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 And so she was also facing the peer pressure from her sister, and it had always been them against the world, so... You know, therefore, her sister's like, oh, I'm just trying to support you. But actually, she really, really, really wasn't. And Mm. I didn't end the book liking her any more than I did at the end. So, yeah, I think think she, I had a massive issue with. But I think your point of, you know, Thea being really manipulative and all of that stuff, I guess I'm defending her a little bit because she's just 
it's just immature really isn't it like it's immaturity and i think we okay neither of us have have got quite the same life um as they do here but but we are both i'd say maybe 10 years older than these characters and we have the benefit of realizing that you need to communicate with people mm. if something's wrong because they're not mind readers yeah 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 might be yeah it might just be an age thing it's never really yeah categorically stated how old they are but yeah they're no, probably no, in their, hasn't... their 20s they're definitely not in their 30s i don't think yeah because he's a if he's a pro baseball player then he's not he's not our age <laughs> <laughs> probably not yeah so does that then mean that you liked Gavin as a character? Yeah, mostly. I think I did like him. He frustrated me a little bit at points because he was so naive about various things. Mm. But I think that was sort of deliberate because he has such a big turnaround. And he also comes out with the term book boner, referring to reading a sexy scene and suddenly feeling feeling rather hot under the collar. And I absolutely loved that. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I think that's that's top quality. Yeah. Um, I wished... Because <laughs> I think this is introduced, this concept of the book boner, uh, during maybe even the initial book club meeting. I wish that they had given us a scale. <laughs> because I think they were saying like, oh, this novel is a four on the book boner. It's like, what does that, what does that mean? Well, you know, like what constitutes mm. a one? What constitutes a four? I wish that they had, <laughs> they had um, said this. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interestingly, that book that he's reading, which is courting the Countess, she's publishing it in twenty twenty three. Is she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, did you like that element? The the little snippets from the the Regency romance novel. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was all right. Um, it was a bit contrived, but that's kind of the point. And, you know, it'd be interesting once it once she does write it, whether or not there are bits in between the things that we read. I think there probably must be. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was... I think I found it a little frustrating that it was exactly the same scenario, mm. except set during the Regency period. But then... That was the whole point in choosing that specific book, and they even say to him, "This you need this book, you know, mm-hmm. because this, this one's relevant or whatever." Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It took me a, a little bit out of the story the first time that we suddenly switched to the Regency novel, and yeah, I mean, I thought those scenes were they were fine. I mm. don't think I'm not sure how much they actually added to the story. Because as you say, no. it seems to be the almost exactly the same situation, which what are the chances of, of that? I'm not really sure. Um, mm. So, yeah. I think I think the purpose of them was to, you know, there's moments where Gavin just knows what to say to Thea because he's yeah. literally quoting the count. And if we didn't have the snippets of the book, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that's where it came from. It would be a bit out of context. Mm. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I also liked about Gavin that he was really good with the children. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a really imp- again it's challenging that gender stereotype. But you know, she's like, 
he lets Thea have a bit of a lie in the one Saturday and then he's making pancakes with the twins and he's really involved in their lives. And that is something that, I mean, you know, especially the stage of life that I'm at, thinking that my husband is going to be that good with my children, it's the dream. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, he's very involved to the extent that he can be with the career that he has. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really well written. It's, um, I think this might be, so in terms of all the other rom-coms that I've read, this one was unique in two ways. One, it was the first one that I'd read that was about saving a relationship because most of them are about two people meeting and starting a relationship. So it was nice to see, uh, you know, a couple that have, who have been together for a number of years and kind of want to get the romance back. And also it was unique in including children, I suppose, because again, for the same reason, usually if a couple is getting together, they don't usually have kids. So I liked the inclusion of the twins. I thought it was, I, it felt quite natural is, is what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I think it is also, you know, I think it really speaks a lot about how your relationship has to grow with how you as an individual change. So, for example, when they first met, he wasn't yet major league and then they met and she got pregnant and they got married and then he was suddenly in the big leagues and he didn't appreciate how what that would do to their relationship as she didn't either. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that is really, really... <clears throat> you never get told that your partner's occupation or whatever is going to have such an enormous impact on your relationship. Like, to be honest with you, when I decided to train to be an accountant, it was, it was when I was in a previous relationship and... I could not have been in the kind of relationship that I'm in now if I had, uh, whilst I was also studying. I mean, Will and I were together for one exam and, I mean, you know what I'm like when I'm studying, you know, I just go into black hole mode, like, shut up, leave me alone, I am studying now. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't make for a good relationship but it was also when I was in that previous relationship, one, it was a decision that I made for myself and I didn't consider at all the impact that it would have on the other person. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it's probably, you know, fairly similar to at the moment I'm thinking, what, where is my career going? But I'm also thinking, well, maybe I might have children at some point in the future. And if I were to leave my job right now and then get pregnant, immediately I wouldn't be able to get a job mm. that paid maternity leave which would then have a ma major impact on Will because he would become the sole supporter of us for that period that I wasn't earning yeah and those kinds of decisions are, are just like you just never get taught to consider what that's going to do mm. So I really like, really, really like that that was a major part of this novel. It's yeah. a major part of why their relationship was falling apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've said it really well. And I think in the moment when I was reading it, I just found it as a another... So Thea's unhappiness in her marriage 
or with how her life had turned out. On the surface, I was a bit frustrated with it. But again, you're right. This could just be because I'm probably 10 years older than her. I've been through a lot of things that she hasn't been through. I have a completely different outlook on life. However, you know, it felt quite naive from to for her to have thought that getting married and having twins wouldn't drastically change her life and that she would be able to remain the impulsive, fun-loving person that she had been before mm. and therefore blaming all of this on Gavin again it just felt really mm-hmm. short-sighted and like mm. I can, I mean I empathize with her of course everyone is you know everyone has some idea of what their life is going to be like and I think we will all at some point have a crisis of well you know where did the years go I used to be one way now I'm a different way will I ever get it back but I think the beauty of being in a in a partnership is that you you have or you should have the support of your partner and mm. I like that Gavin realized that that when she says that she wants to go back to school she wants to become an artist that he supported her in that and I think if she had told him even earlier he probably would have supported her earlier as well it's it's this miscommunication that I really that is so crucial in romance novels and it's so frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting insight into your relation your behavior in a relationship because the fact that you're getting so frustrated about it obviously shows that you and your partner have got a really good communication because you wouldn't you wouldn't get to this point. Yeah. I think so. I think yeah. Yeah. So hmm that was my little <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting one. No, I completely I think um I think again just to it's it's so difficult not to um just refer to your own experience, isn't it? But you know, they these these two have been together for maybe slightly over 3 years and Will and I it's our second anniversary of dating <laughs> this weekend. Mm-hmm. And you know, here we are, we've been married for 6 months and Da, 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 da. But I think I do have that benefit of knowing we started day one. I think one of the first questions I ever asked him was, do you want to have children? Because I'm not prepared to waste my time with somebody who doesn't want children because it's just not what I want. Mm. Whereas I would never have done that when I was in my early 20s. You yeah. know, you, you just didn't you just didn't scare a man off like that. And Will, probably, if he had been 10 years younger, would have been scared off by that. Because, I mean, the amount he talks about it now, like, it obviously made an impact. <laughs> <laughs> but he was also mature enough to realise it was just an e- attempt at communication, you know. Yeah. And even, like, this evening, we're putting up pictures and we're having a bit of an argument about what goes where and you realize it's not something that's worth falling out over Mm. like you just need to say okay cool maybe we we i'm approaching it in this way and you're approaching it in that way and i think i think that is a i think that is an age thing yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah yeah. it is yeah i mean it's really easy to kind of project your own (laughs) 
life into mm. this and kind of think, well, I would never react in this way. But I was talking about this with my mom the other day as well. Like, it's really easy to say I would never react in a certain way. But then once you're in that situation, you just have no idea what you're going to do. It's, mm. yeah. And you also don't necessarily always know how you are reacting either. Mm. Because because for you it might be like a reaction might be split second and then 30 seconds later you've forgotten about it. Whereas it might have had an impact on the other person mm. that you you just can't imagine because you, you don't see what you've done. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's a... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I liked that it was showing how a relationship can change over time once you kind of get out of the initial in love phase and obviously as you've already said so many things are going to change in your life if you're choosing a life partner you today and you 20 years from now are going to be two wildly different people as is your partner mm -hmm. so it's natural that the dynamics will change and then it really it, it really is important to I suppose talk about things or not jump to conclusions. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think it's the reason that previous relationship broke up is because I realized I was putting all of these demands. I broke up the relationship because I realized I was putting all these demands on the person, and I just said. I don't want to wake up in 15 years time and realize that you've been turned into a person that I want you to be that is not who you really are because I can't live with the way that you are at the moment and therefore I haven't got a chance of dealing with the way that you are in 20 years time if I can't even deal with you now like mm. yeah it it is a it's such an important thing that you just when you have your standard romance novel where the whole point in it is Two people meet, fall in love, they kiss and then they ride off into the sunset and you never really get that, okay, but what then? Mm. Because I don't care how perfect you are and your relationship is, there will always be something because you've not married yourself. The person doesn't have or you're not in a relationship with somebody who has exactly the same viewpoint as you on every little thing. And to be honest, even if I was in a relationship with myself, I'd still argue with myself because <laughs> one day I like something this way and another day I'm like, no. Like, at the moment I'm trying to get rid of loads of stuff because I think I need to be more minimalist. But tomorrow I might be like, yeah, but I needed all that stuff. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've talked a lot about myself there. I am most apologetic. I, I like how this has turned into, like, a... Therapy. <laughs> a therapy session... <laughs> Uh, marriage counselling kind of really <laughs> episode. <laughs> um, and I hope we don't... <laughs> yeah, I hope we don't come off as preachy, obviously. All relationships are different. No, no. Um, we're only yeah. talking from our own experiences. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, thank you for saying that, because, yeah, it's true. Yeah. And also, it's important to remember that we are two heterosexual white women married to our middle-class white men. So we have very limited personal experience in the grand scheme of things. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to touch upon? 
dating each other is important. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that Gavin is trying to do is insist that they go on a weekly date, just the two of them. And I think that that is something that even when you've just been together for a while and the first flush of romance has faded and now you are you are in a different kind of relationship, I think it's still so important to really put time in to making time for each other because otherwise you end up just sitting next to each other, sitting on the sofa, watching TV, flicking through your phones and basically ignoring each other, which is a kind of companionship that is amazing and really important, but also when you are when you go outside and you put some nice clothes on and you say, well, we're out, so we shouldn't be looking at our phones all the time. I think it's important to make that self that time. And and I mean I'm I'm aware that we're it's a romance book, but I think it's also it applies to single people as well. Like it is important to take yourself out and mm-hmm. and be like, you know, phone away. I'm just gonna sit down and enjoy a cup of coffee or go out for dinner or whatever and take a mental breather mm. from the banality of normal life. Yeah, date nights are great. Like, Mm. before lockdown, when we would go out more often, we always had the most deep relationship deconstructing conversations with Andreas when we would go out for dinner to a restaurant. Most of the time they made me cry, but then I cried everything. Mm. But it was in a good way. Like, I'm not saying this was bad. But I always got this kind of emotional catharsis, you know. Mm-hmm. I think lockdown obviously made it really difficult. So you kind of learn to have these conversations when you're just stuck at home. But yeah, it is mm-hmm. nice to just go out every once in a while. It's a completely different atmosphere. It's just, it's just different. Like, mm. yeah, I agree. And I liked, there was a slight mention of this. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh, no. It's gone. In one of the early chapters, when they're introducing this book club and how they're going to help him save it, his marriage, Dell says that Gavin needs to learn Thea's language. I have a funny story about this, but first I will ask you, have you heard of the five love languages? I hadn't, well, I've heard of it now, but it's a funny story about how I was introduced to this concept. (laughs) Because when Andreas and I were getting married, I needed to get a, my baptism certificate because we were getting married in the Orthodox Church in in Cyprus and they needed to see this document. So we went to the church where I was baptized, Roman Catholic, in Slovakia, and we were speaking to the priest who was really nice and actually he was very international. He spoke English as well. So he started talking with Andreas and it was great. And he recommended to us since we were about to get married that we should take this quiz online to find out our love languages. And I was kind of thinking, I don't really know what that means, but okay. So we went home. And, and we did it. And it was a really fun experience. And 
again, not to sound preachy, if you haven't ever taken this quiz, I think it can be really um, interesting and really important. So there are five love languages and yeah, I just think it's great. I think it's, it, I think it helps to stop there being this miscommunication or these misunderstandings because just because you think that your actions are so obvious in what they're trying to, the message that they're trying to send, the other person, it means, it might not mean anything to them and it's nobody's fault. It's just that you're speaking a different language and I think that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it is. I haven't quite figured out what Wills is yet, but I I know that it definitely like he always wants to give me the bigger portion of dinner and I'm like I'm a foot shorter than you are <laughs> and I'm already overweight. Like I don't need this much food and he's doing it cuz he loves me and I could potentially stand back and go Do you listen to me at all? <laughs> But yeah, I it is yeah. I'm gonna make him do it after after this. I think <laughs> I don't know what my love language is either. I have done the quiz, but I don't remember what the result was. Mm. But yeah, it's it is interesting. It's I think there's a lot of psychology that is hidden in this, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these are the little things that I I liked about it. You know, like it it is a li- a little bit of a guide on how to communicate with your partner and yeah. Mm. So I'm going to ask you a silly question, a giggly question on a book boner scale. <laughs> what was this for you? <laughs> um, I would say it was pretty low, like maybe a two out of 10. Ooh, that's a big scale. Of what, one out of five? So, in the sense of you... Oh God, how do I pose this question? I didn't didn't (laughs) find it particularly erotic. Okay. Uh, there There were sex scenes in it that were okay, but I sort of read them as part of the story. It wasn't like just pulling a random thing out of the air a court of thorns and roses where or actually the later novels where things got a lot steamier <laughs> um i think one of the bigger issues that i had with it was that i do not i am not attracted to looks and appearance mm-hmm. and so because that was such a prominent part of this i didn't get that sort of physical chemistry i didn't fancy gavin mm-hmm. you know i didn't con- i didn't particularly connect with either of the characters in a particularly emotional way and so i think that just affects my ability to like really get get into it mm-hmm. whereas there are other books that i've read that i have had to put them down because i'm getting a bit hot and bothered you know <laughs> and the reason i bring up a court of thorns and roses or i think i can't remember which one it was but Will and I were driving to see his parents the one Friday night. I even texted you and was like, I've had to put this book down because we're about to walk into Will's parents' house. Not appropriate to be in that frame of mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
I think that must have been a court of silver flames because I had similar yeah. experiences where we were staying with Andrea's parents. And I was just reading it in the in the living room while we were watching a movie or something. And I was like, I think I need to put this away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what where would you put it on that scale? Um, I think I would put it at maybe like a two. I think a two. Yeah. 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 Like it was I think this maybe is uh this is the mature content part of the podcast. Maybe we put a rating on this episode, but I think where where they are describing specific sex acts in detail and talking about the feelings and how it is and, you know, whether or not you achieve orgasm or whatever, mm-hmm. I think I think the way in which the reader connects with that part is is maybe where the book bone a part of it, like how turned on you get. Like maybe they're not describing something that you particularly love or Mm. that you've ever had a chance to experience and I think that's also where the instructional part of it comes from because Gavin reads this book and it talks about cunnilingus and then he decides I'm going to try that and he does what's done in the book and it's amazing for the woman and obviously because it's written by a woman a man reading it will then get more of an insight into exactly what a woman likes without a woman having to stop a man during the act and go "Mm, maybe you should try this because that kind of puts a bit of a damper on the romance you know (laughs) god i hope my mother never listens to this episode (laughs) and my father oh my god i might have to tell them to avoid (laughs) and my brother oh my god it's fine i'm sorry for putting you in this position gory i'm the one who brought it up i'm sorry no, no, it's fine. I actually, I think it's really important to talk about it. I think, I hate all of the cloak and dagger Britishness that comes about the topic because I think it is not particularly healthy. Mm. Like, we should all acknowledge that we're all human and we all, we all, we we are genetically designed to find physical pleasure in various things and there shouldn't be something wrong about talking about it. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Mm. Mm. I have nothing further well maybe I've got a question Mm -hmm. there are three other books already published do you intend to read them? maybe I don't think anytime soon but maybe someday I'm a bit put off by the next one because it is about Liv and I had such problems with her in this book so maybe I I might skip the second one because I didn't connect with her character. And then the other two are... One of them is about the Russian. And one of them is about... Well, the other one's about Mac and Liv, so... <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, so the second, one, the second one is about Mac and Liv. That doesn't really oh. interest me. Oh, okay. I thought that that was the fourth. Anyway, whatever. It was completely unimportant. Yeah. The third one is about Alexis. So that's the friend who's opening the cafe. Yeah. The fourth one is about the Russian. In terms of the blurb, I think the fourth one sounds the most interesting. Um, so maybe I'll just go straight to the fourth one. I don't I don't think they need to be read in chronological order. I think they are quite standalone. So yeah, might do that. How about you? I think I... 
I will quite often have, like, if I'm sitting down of an afternoon and we don't have a podcast book on the go at that exact moment and I want to read something, I do sometimes wonder what to read. And I think that these will probably go onto that list because, yes, I enjoyed it and it was like reading and I'm quite happy to read the next one, whereas some of the books that I've put onto that list in the past have just been completely inappropriate and... I think it's difficult to know sometimes how easy reading a book is going to be from the blurb and from the cover. Mm. Yeah. Whereas I know that these are... And I think I also dislike Liv, but I'm I'm not going to write the book off completely because I sort of hope that there will be some redemption for her character and that she'll grow up a little bit. Yeah, I mean... I'll prob- let you know. Yeah, probably there will be. <laughs> I mean, she is... I mean, her and Thea both are primarily flawed because of their upbringing and the fact that they their parents had such a bad relationship so I can understand some of her issues and you know her behavior but yeah and I mean it might just be as a secondary character maybe she's not so great but if it's a book written from her point of view and about her specifically that maybe she comes Mm. off much better I don't know yeah, I don't, I I don't know either. So yeah, we'll 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 find out. We'll see. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Cool. Um, I also mm. don't really have anything else to say. Well, one thing that I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this. Did you find that there were like plot holes or like things missing? Because it it seemed to me sometimes that they would reference things that hadn't actually happened, and I don't know if this just got cut in editing or. Things just, you know, they're not showing us everything that had happened. I don't know. but I wouldn't be surprised if there were, but I, I, I didn't notice. Okay. That's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah. we can wrap it up then and talk about the next book, which hopefully we won't change last minute. So. Yes. I'm sure we won't because I have tried to put this book on this list several times before realising I had already put it on the list. (laughs) So the book is going to be The First 15 Lives of Harry August by Claire North. Mm -hmm. However, there will be some slight discrepancy in the recording when you get to this point because we're actually... Lucia and I are going to be seeing each other Ah. in like two weeks. I know. Ah. And our guest, our guest for the end of this series is our friend Louisa, who we are going to visit in Dusseldorf. And so we are actually going to record that episode first. But in terms of the podcast timing, the next book will be The First 15 Lives of Harry August. Mm -hmm. So you might hear us talking about Dusseldorf and be like, what? Yeah. And then it will all become clear. Yes. (laughs) Good point. Good point. I was like, where is she going with this? Why is she bringing this up? You're right. (laughs) Because we are really bad at, like, we're talking about Easter and this episode comes out in May, end of May. So, yeah, we we, we kind of forget how far in advance we actually do record. But, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I have no idea what it's about, so... I don't think I really do either, but but every time I'm doing a sort of flick through, I think, oh, that looks quite interesting. So there we go. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, 
I look forward to recording that episode, but I much more look forward to seeing you in person for the first time in almost three years. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. And it's going to be on my uh, birthday as well. Oh, I'm so I excited. I know. <laughs> Perfect. Can't yes, wait. it worked out really well. Cool. So, um, the next time we record, we will be recording in person, and I cannot wait. Um, so, until then, thank you for letting me derail our schedule and picking this four days before we're going to record. That's fine. I enjoyed it. It was exactly what I needed without realizing I needed it. So yeah, I think me too. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All righty. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading.